I think right now college um, is on the decline. Um, it might be a polarizing like view. I think I think college is useful in the sense of research, and that's essentially it. I mean, they could just be research facilities because uh, the colleges still provide like novel um, thoughts and ideas, and that's very important. But learning is definitely going online. Um, Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Gritty and Curious. Gritty and Curious is a podcast that gives you the inspiration, knowledge, and tools to start your next venture. This is your host, Austin. I am an entrepreneur, fitness enthusiast, and tech junkie. In this episode, I talk to Andy Gao about blogging, college, and the future of education. Andy is a blogger. He likes reading, taking notes, doing fitness, making YouTube videos, traveling, and coming up with new business ideas and learning by doing. He writes about productivity, tech tips, entrepreneurship, personal finance, and much, much more on his website, andyjgao.com. So be sure to check that out. He also has a newsletter that's he just started, and it's super interesting. I subscribe to it as well. In the episode, we talk about what the true benefit of college is, the bro effect, how to replicate the college experience online, the future of education, how to communicate ideas effectively, how to learn anything, and how to improve your time management skills. I'm super excited to get into this episode, but first, I wanted to let you know I started a Greedy and Curious LinkedIn group. I made it to build a community of self-starters and thought leaders like Andy and I and many others who have joined me on the podcast who have went through the system, basically you know, went to college, did well, got a job, but they're looking for something much greater than that, something that they're shooting for, they might not know what it is, but I wanted to build this community of self-starters and entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are looking for, for something more and bring these like-minded people together. So check that out if you're interested. Also, if you enjoy Gritty and Curious, please follow, subscribe, leave a rating, and write a review. By doing this, you let me know that you are listening, and it inspires me to keep creating. So, without further ado, let's get into the episode. So, I guess the the first thing I want to talk about is you just started your own blog. Yes. Why did you start a blog, and why do you think blogging is important? Um, yeah, so why I started a blog, um, mainly there was three things that I wanted to tackle. Like Number one, I wanted to be able to learn in public. Um, cause when you learn in public, um, you, you, there's a higher standard that you must kind of like achieve. And because of that, you, you want to uh, convey your ideas more clearly, which requires more research. And through this cycle, you kind of learn better and it leads to, um, a better writing. So a, a good example of this is, um, Richard Feynman. So he, he, he's a very famous physicist and not only is he known for, uh, being such a famous physicist, he was really known for teaching and conveying very complex ideas in simple ways. And he said that the, a technique he used was called the Feynman technique, where in order for him to learn better, he taught. And I think that's kind of why I started my blog. For me to learn better and to understand the concepts that I'm interested in, I started creating this blog to convey my ideas. So that was number one. Uh, number two, I really wanted to publicize my ideas. Um, Recently, I read a book called How to Take Smart Notes by a guy named Sankey Ahrens, and uh, a quote really resonated with me. Um, he said that an idea kept private is as good as one you never had. So I realized that I had a lot of ideas, but um, I was never really a public person, so I, I kept them kept these ideas to myself. But then uh, that quote really kind of shifted my thinking. Like, yeah, if I kept these ideas to myself, um, I never publicized them then no one will know that I had these ideas. So that's another reason why I created my blog, so I could publicize my ideas. And um, finally, I think that, I mean, as a college student, um, I mean, I've lived 22 years of my life, so hopefully there's things that I could provide that um, are relatable and helpful to um, other people who are maybe tuning into my uh, blog and reading the content that I provide. So, yeah, those are probably the three main reasons why I started a blog, to learn in public, to publicize my ideas, and to provide my own insight. Why is blogging important? Yeah, so to answer that question, yeah, blogging is important, I think, because it kind of provides a platform to broadcast um, your thoughts and perspectives. So uh, I don't know if you, have you heard of a guy named um, Novel Ravikant? 
Naval Ravicon. I love him. I I have like tweet notifications set for him whenever he sends every, anything. Yeah, exactly. No, I love him too. I think he's like very popular amongst the <laughs> bloggers, the people who are trying to be like self-made entrepreneurs. So like he provides a lot of like life philosophies. And um, I was listening to one of his podcasts recently, and um, he was mentioning how right now because of the internet, like an inv- individual. Um, is given permissionless leverage. So, yeah, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> essentially, that basically means that you don't need permission to, or, or like you don't need to wait for a boss or even money to start creating things and succeeding. Like, and you see this in blogs, in YouTube, in Twitter. All you gotta do is just like sit. I'm sitting in my room right now and talking to you. But all you really need to do is sit down, have internet connection, type stuff, and produce content. And these ideas can be broadcasted to thousands, millions. Hundreds of millions of people, and that that blows my mind. Yeah, it's it's like a it's a crazy concept, and yeah. you it it kind of takes that taking a step back and understanding what you're capable of doing to realize that and really take advantage of what the tools that we have available to allow us to share our ideas. So the mm-hmm. next thing I want to I want to talk about is you know if someone is going to start a blog. And I think mm-hmm. that this is something that, you know, I faced and I'm not sure if you faced the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to publicize your ideas because like I'm like, I don't know where I fall on the scale of introvert to extrovert, but like <laughs> I, I'm not like, I don't want, it, it's difficult to put your stuff out there because you don't know who's going to read it. You don't want to be judged. You know, what do you, what advice would you give to someone who might want to start something, but that's a little bit hesitant about putting themselves out there? Yeah, so you mentioned introvert, extrovert. I mean, I mean, on that scale, I feel like I'm definitely an introvert. So, I mean, if I could do it, I'm sure a lot of people can do it as well. But um, an advice I would give them is that um, when you write stuff, make sure you're writing things that interest you. So you don't want to write because you think it's going to be popular or get lots of views. Um, yeah, that's definitely not the way to go. Um, and if you do that, yeah, you're going to probably get um, not not the kind of audience you want. But by writing things that interest you, and um, the audience will also notice that, and it might interest them. So the audience you get from writing things that interest you uh, will be the audience that you want. So essentially, you want to create content that's as authentic, um, as real as you are. But at the same time, you want to also try to create the best content possible. So um, balancing authenticity and having your own standards is, I think, what is key to creating a blog. And um, yeah, any anybody can create it. I mean, I created it. And all it takes is just, um, I don't know, stepping outside your comfort zone and just, pu- just hitting publish. So we touched about, we touched on like the conceptual part of coming up with a blog. You know, mm-hmm. write about things that interest you. Make sure mm-hmm. that you you do your research to a certain degree. But from mm-hmm. a technical standpoint, what do people need mm-hmm. to do? to get a blog up and running and <laughs> gotcha. start publicizing stuff. Um, yeah, so there's definitely a lot of different ways you can approach this. So when I created my blog, um, I went like the super technical route. Like I found my own website. I created it all from like almost scratch. But um, you don't have to do that. Like there's so many platforms right now, like Medium is an example, where you, all you can do is just go to that website, sign up, and start writing. Um, I think that's that's... Um, a way to have the least amount of friction to create content. Um, but yeah, you, there's also other ways you can do it. Like WordPress is definitely one way to do it. Um, there's a lot of different templating websites where it's, it's not that hard. But I mean, it took me maybe like a couple hours to get my blog running. So from a technical perspective, there's a lot of different avenues. But if if you're a no-code kind of person and you never touch code in your life, um, you can still write. I mean, just go to Medium, sign up, and start publishing. Yeah, this is something that like us technical guys understand, but a lot of times when you speak to other people, they're like, "How do I even do this? Like, how do I get this this started?" You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you recently posted a blog post about your takeaways from college. Can mm-hmm. you elaborate a little bit more on these? Yeah. So, so my three main takeaways from college. Um, so number one is to pursue learning and not grades. And my second takeaway is to um, take in opportunities, have a lot of inputs, but also have a strong filter. 
And my third takeaway was finding a community. So starting with the first one, um, pursue learning and not grades. So um, I started off in college as a business major, and I realized that there were a lot of things that I was interested in, but being a business major didn't allow me to pursue these interests because there's certain kind of core like requirements you had to take core classes and some of these classes were kind of um bs like i had to take i don't know like uh, intro to music theory to satisfy some kind of requirement but i wasn't particularly interested in that um, i was more so interested in tech so uh, after this entire process i kind of realized that in college like you can um, follow your major and do very well um, uh, luckily i had a really good econ teacher in high school so some of the classes I was taking wasn't relatively too difficult, but at the same time, if it doesn't fulfill your interests and your hobbies, then um, paying so much for a college education is almost worthless. And that's kind of why I started as a business major, transfer into information systems, because they allowed me more flexibility. Um, and I also try to get a minor in computer science, but when I realized that there's another like requirement that I had to take, but I wasn't interested in that class, I kind of just dropped it. But um, through this, I learned that um, in college and in life, you should pursue learning and maybe not accolades such as grades or um, something that's more like similarly superficial. Um, so second, I, I um, another takeaway I got was that you should have a lot of inputs, but create a strong filter. So what I mean, what do I mean by that? So college, as everyone knows, is a time of opportunity. <laughs> There's literally endless opportunities for you to do uh, and join. Like um, if, you, if you're interested in um, computer science, I'm sure there's a computer science club you could join. If you're interested in basketball, you can join basketball intramurals. But again, there's just so much opportunity. But at the same time, because of this endless amount of opportunity, um, if you join too much things and are committed to all of them, you're gonna get bogged down. And, um, uh, and that, that happened to me. I mean, <laughs> uh, freshman year, I tried to join as many clubs as possible because I was like, wow, college, I, I mean, I'm paying so much, I should take in all the opportunities as possible. But what you soon realize is that um, not only is it harmful to your mental state, but like you're not going to get the quality of each opportunity that you've joined. So um, narrowing it down and finding things that you're interested in is far more important um, in the long run. And finally, um, the last takeaway that I had was finding a community. So <laughs> Um, I thought a lot about this. So I graduated last semester and um, over the course of like last semester to now, um, I learned quite a lot. In fact, I, I, I don't say I learned more than I did in college, but I learned like a lot of things and all through the internet. So this made me like kind of wonder, is a college degree really that important or specifically from Carnegie Mellon? I could have went to Rutgers. Rutgers is an amazing school. I could have went to, um, I don't know, any other state college or why did I go to Carnegie Mellon, which was so expensive? And I think the main rationale that I got out of thinking about this is that the community, like every school has their own specific kind of community. And by finding the people in that community that you really like and also bond with, these are the, this is the network that you're going to have for life. And this is what you're paying for. Um, so finding your community is very, very important in college. And yeah, so those are the three main takeaways I got uh, from being in college. I love that that post because like I've done a lot of thinking about, you know, what's college worth it? What is like what was the true value of being there? Because a lot mm -hmm. of times you get there and you're so bogged down in your grades and you're getting the degree. You want to be super involved. You want to go party. You want to meet people. There's so many mm -hmm. things to do. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> You're going to college to learn and to get a job. That's kind of like when that's what I would think about when all of this craziness or everything's going on. Um, you know, you're there, you're there to learn and you're there to get a job. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to hard to think about these things, especially when a lot of people are there just to get the degree and they're there. They'll do whatever they can to get good grades. Mm -hmm. And what I want to ask you, and you kind of touched on this a little bit when you spoke about the community aspect of Carnegie Mellon and college, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. do you think that college is worth it? Um, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> the funny thing is I had like a pretty heated conversation with my parents about this. 
because um, they've definitely helped me in some parts to pay for my college tuition. And them hearing that I thought college was, um, in a sense, not completely worth it, like in the education perspective, because I could have learned a lot of the things online nowadays, especially with MOOCs and a lot of, um, I guess, universities offering all their curriculum online for free, like MIT does it. So if you really just pay attention and put your time into it, you could have learned it. So um, I guess the education perspective in terms of pure learning is not worth it. But um, I would say that the community is definitely what makes uh, what I paid for worth it. Because, for example, I've joined I joined so many different organizations and within within these organizations, I've met so many motivated, brilliant people who kind of pushed me beyond what I thought I was capable of. And um, not only that, like through these organizations, I've also met alumni and um, their networks, which kind of helps you in the long run in college um, and and beyond that. <laughs> Another thing that I just want to touch upon is I re recently read um, this scientific piece, and it's called the Bro Effect, where by joining a fraternity, in the long run, you actually um, are able to have a higher income because <laughs> it's weird, but like inside fraternities, obviously you form trust and like brotherhood. And because of that, um, the network and the alumni who are in the workforce, like they're more likely to give you opportunities and as a result, give you a higher paying job and income. So it's called the bro effect and you can look it up, but um, that's really a real thing. So yeah, I would say community is what makes um, the education I received worth it. Have you read Give and Take by Adam Grant yet? I have not, but that, that's on my list of reads. I have a lot of things I need to read. Okay, so the bro effect is very similar to something that Adam Grant talks about in his book, Give mm -hmm. and Take. And it's essentially like rapport and building common ground and having common interests mm -hmm. is so important. And people, you don't understand it unless you're looking at like a, you know, a journal article or like a study and sh mm -hmm. showing you how, you know, if this correlation relates to this and it's very, mm -hmm. it's like a, it's a unique, he approaches it in like a very unique way. It's not too, mm -hmm. too, too technical to like understand. Mm -hmm. And it, I would definitely check it out. If you're, if you're into that, I'll check out bro effect. You go check out give and take. Yeah. I mean, I, that's a paraphrase. So just look up bro effect and you'll, you'll see like scientific articles, but I'll definitely check out give and take. <laughs> But you mentioned that before you had this discussion with your parents about, like, mm -hmm. is college worth it? I can't tell you how many times, like, I've had that conversation, too. Mm -hmm. And just, like, the like the process of learning. And I think that it takes the conclusion I came to. And you mentioned that the major benefit to going to college is the community aspect. And mm -hmm. you're meeting people. It's building that network. It's the bro effect. And mm -hmm. it's it's not so much about... For, for me, at least, it wasn't so much about the learning. It was more so introducing me to different concepts and ideas. And the thing is that you can find those things online. All of mm -hmm. that all of that stuff is is online. And it takes like a very a disciplined person to kind of stick to that, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're mentioning community online, right? Yes. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I really thought about that, too. Um, like, once I realized that community was the, I guess, only value proposition of college, um, I thought, what if there was a way to kind of, like, um, replicate this via the Internet? And I think I found it through Twitter. Um, I, if you use Twitter effectively, like, you can find um, these brilliant people that are just doing, like, cool shit all the time. Um, and, like, and by, by following these people, you're, you're kind of, you become self-motivated and you want to be better. And um, yeah, so Twitter is a really amazing platform to find a community that pushes you. And, and the thing is that you can meet so many brilliant people too, just by replying to them. And they might DM you back. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, that's, ha that was, that's what happened between me and you, so. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. You know, like, mm -hmm. I mean, that was the big thing that my parents, when I was talking to them about this, they were like, well, college is such a great place for people to socialize and meet new people. And I'm like, if you use like the Internet is the most effective way to meet new people mm -hmm. like in in our lifetimes, 
we're going to meet exponentially amount, like significantly more people online than Mm -hmm. we are going to in person. And I just thought about this the other day, and it's so hard to wrap your mind around around it. But if you think about that, there's so much opportunity to meet people on Twitter. And like, I am not a big Twitter guy, but Mm -hmm. then... I saw like how you're using Twitter and how I found Naval and I found mm-hmm. a few other people that I follow and mm-hmm. now it's more I see the community, I see how it works and mm-hmm. so I guess the next question when I have is assuming that let's say colleges colleges change as a result of whether it's the pandemic or the way people absorb information, and they need to build an online community. They need to build that community aspect so that 18-year-olds can learn about what they're interested in and essentially build that college experience Mm -hmm. without the campus. What what does Mm -hmm. that look like? Yeah, so that is a very interesting idea. Um, I I feel like it would be a very successful business idea because I haven't found – like um, any kind of company or community or platform that replicates that exactly. So if there's a way where you can replicate the sense of like camaraderie and friendship that is developed through college campus via the internet, that would be very, very powerful. Um, I think Twitter replicates the sense of learning and the community that gets developed through learning very well, but it does not develop, uh, does not replicate the sense of um, going to like parties to meet friends, going to, Um, social gatherings like this kind of stuff you can't really replicate through twitter Uh, maybe facebook does it through facebook groups but there hasn't been like one cohesive platform that's been able to do it um that i've seen maybe maybe they exist but i have not seen it um so that that's why i I think the future is the internet and uh, i'm sure it'll exist soon maybe through vr like virtual reality (laughs) maybe you can use virtual reality to meet other people and um, talk face to face. That might be a, a potential solution to solving this problem of creating camaraderie and um, community online. So that could be a solution. Um, so yeah, there, there's a problem that I've noticed through Zoom, and I, I've seen this through a, a guy named Nat Elison. He mentioned it in one of his Twitter um, posts, and he says that like the problem with Zoom is that when you're trying to do a social gathering, right? You, you're um, you're trying to talk to 80 plus people or 50 plus people on one call. That's just that's not how socializing works. Like there's there's people who talk in a corner and then they somehow hear an interesting conversation in a crowd or in a, in a circle and then they move into that conversation. So there's a lot of fluidity inside conversations and Zoom does not do that well. I mean, you're just sitting there and you're seeing 50 different faces and one person's talking and then another person's talking and another person's talking. It kind of feels like popcorn talking as opposed to um, a normal conversation. So that's like an interesting concept. And mm-hmm. because I've heard of people having like virtual happy hours where they mm-hmm. invite like 50 people and I'm like, how is that fun? Like everybody's, <laughs> yeah. just, everybody's just yelling into the mic and you can't mm-hmm. have like a conversation with somebody. And then mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, in one of my classes, do, do you use Blackboard or did you use Blackboard? I used to. Now I use Canvas, but Blackboard used to be a thing. <laughs> okay. So Blackboard has this thing where it's called, like their video conferencing is called Collaborate Ultra. And okay. essentially it's just you, you know, every, you start the class and there's 100 people in the class and then the professor can segment people into groups. Now you're still within the class, but you're within a group now. Mm-hmm. So... <clears throat> I was thinking, like, what would social gatherings and social interaction look like? You know, that that might be a solution. But then I'm thinking, you just mentioned, you know, and I'm kind of one of these people too. You sometimes you're just listening in on a conversation, waiting to say something, mm-hmm. and it's hard to build that environment. And maybe VR is the is the solution to that. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. it's very it's interesting to think about. You know, communicating online. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's definitely a problem, and um, being able to solve that problem is a, um, a like is going to be very important in the future, especially after the pandemic. I think things are going to change quite a lot. So I kind of want to stick on the 
concept of the pandemic because this is something that I've thought about a lot, you know, mm-hmm. just picking certain parts of our lives that have that have been stable for in the past 22 years, like sports mm-hmm. and education and work. So I want to stick on education and how it relates to COVID-19. What do you think the future of education is going to look like moving forward? And you can interpret that question in any way <laughs> you want. Yeah, um, the future of the edu- edu- uh, sorry, the future of education, I personally believe, is going to be online. Um, I think right now college um, is on the decline. Um, it might be a polarizing like view. I think I think college is useful in the sense of research, and that's essentially it. I mean, they could just be research facilities because uh, the colleges still provide like novel um, thoughts and ideas, and that's very important. But Learning is definitely going online, um, especially coding schools. Like there's a new um, school called Lambda School, um, and basically their idea is that they'll provide you a, a coding computer science curriculum, and um, they won't charge you anything until you get a job. Now that's like that idea is definitely gonna be far better than going to any college where you're paying two hundred thousand dollars a year or something like that, and then you're uh, they're not even sure if you're gonna get a job or not. Like they're guaranteeing you a job or else you have to pay them. So education is going to be online and education is going to be far more decentralized than it is now. I mean, everybody is uh, basically um, have a, has a voice. You mean, I mean, the permissionless leverage will allow you to kind of provide content or anything valuable. And if someone sees that and finds it valuable, they'll buy your course or listen to what you're saying. And um, learning that way, I think, is going to be what the future is going to be like. Um, just everything is going to be decentralized via the Internet. That's like a crazy concept. And I've, I've heard of Lambda School and I've done mm-hmm. a little bit of research and I'm like, you know, how could that be applied to other industries? Because mm-hmm. like from a technical standpoint, you know, if you have the tools to do the job, then mm-hmm. you're going to get the job that requires those tools so that you can complete mm-hmm. the tasks that you were taught to complete. Exactly. So my question would be, how it, would that be applicable to other industries would it be exactly the same or would it be different mm, um i think with cs it's a little bit easier because i mean <laughs> when you get interviewed it's very technical there's no kind of behavioral aspect where i mean there is in a sense that as long as you're you you're, you look kind of friendly you're fine but um it's more merit-based and technical based where as long as you can code and pass the tests that they give you you're almost guaranteed that job, but as um, but this is kind of different, I guess, in terms of the finance industry, maybe consulting or investment banking. I don't know too much about it because I'm not in that industry, but I know that behavioral the behavioral aspect is very important. You know, you have to master your stars, you got to master all that kind of stuff, situation, tasks, actions, results, all that in order to even kind of pass the first test. And once you pass the first test, then they give you the technical aspect. So there's like it's kind of a two-layered um, system where whereas coding is a lot more technical based. So I think for investment banking, financial analysts, anything that requires a behavioral side, um, that can still be taught. So maybe a school like Lambda School can have instead of just strictly a coding curriculum, they'll have a behavioral curriculum and a financial curriculum. Like th- this stuff still can be replicated online. Um, and th- the behavioral stuff can be trained through a video conference call, like one-on-one Zoom sessions, and they coach you that way. Um, now, will it be the same as a college curriculum? I don't know, but that's just my prediction. It definitely could be replicated online. Yeah, I can definitely see it, especially like from I've done a few or a handful of consulting interviews where, as you mentioned before, they, there's behavioral questions where you're following a specific format, situation, task, action, result, and mm-hmm. then there's a case aspect to it, which also has its own structure. So mm-hmm. I guess when you break down each one of these these problems or these types of interviews and these these skills that you need, and essentially it just breaks down the communication. If you're able to communicate your ideas in a structured way, then mm-hmm. that's what you're that's what they're looking for. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. you need to have certain you have to check certain boxes but i guess from a lambda school 
model, if there was a Mm -hmm. way for somebody to come in and say, hey, you know, we're going to teach you how to master behavioral interview questions and we're going to teach you how to ace the case. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get a job, then you don't have to pay us. If you do, Mm -hmm. then pay up. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I could see it, though. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I could see it, too. Um, I definitely agree also with your point of communication. So I think um, these schools that, I guess, focus on the financial industry, communication will be, I think, the key aspect they're going to try to teach. Because communicating good ideas is far more important than having good ideas. Because if you can't communicate it, then, again, an idea that's kept private is worth no idea at all. So. I think that's what they're going to be teaching in those kind of specific land to school, um, I guess, models in the financial industry. So let's stick on the concept of communication and relate it back to your blog that you just started. Mm-hmm. Communi- you mentioned communication is super important and because it's the way you sell yourself, it's the way you sell your ideas, it's the way that you sell, you sell products. You know, mm-hmm. how do you, when you have an idea, how, what's your process in communicating that idea effectively? Um, in terms of blogging it or just communicating? Well, I guess in terms of, of blogging, because I mm-hmm. think that that's something that I learned is that when I started blogging, I became a better um vocal communicator as well because i was thinking yes. about things in a much more systematic way because that's just how i i kind of it blogging changed the way i think so i kind of wanted to ask for your opinion on this as well no i also definitely agree with that um better thinking leads to better writing and then better writing leads to better thinking so it's kind of like a positive loop that um blogging creates and I've also noticed this too. Um, after blogging, like uh, you, you realize that all your thoughts on, when you write it down have to be more succinct. Um, there, there's the remove, like you're, you start removing adverbs, removing unnecessary points and things. And I think because of that, my thinking has become far more succinct and clearer as well. Like uh, in the past, I probably ramble on before I reached my main point, and then people who are listening to me probably forgot what even I was talking about. So by being able to blog well uh, i think you become a better like thinker speaker vocal communicator um so these are all things that i think i've learned through blogging yeah 100 percent. no i i've definitely experienced that too like you mentioned you know, removing adverbs from the way you're writing and i would like i was the same way when like if i compared my writing freshman year of college or high school to now Mm -hmm. it's so much more like succinct concise Mm -hmm. and to the point and Mm -hmm. this is kind of something that you it it takes practice like one of my goals is just to to write every day it doesn't have to be super long but just like if i'm thinking about something like write it down in my notes and it's definitely helped me become better a better communicator for sure Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Doing things every day compounds. I think I wrote a blog post about that, um, the compound effect, where if you do things consistently over time, um, it has like really significant effects. So let's elaborate a little bit more. Let's talk about the compounding effect, because this is something mm-hmm. that, that I've read about in the past. Mm-hmm. But what is your perspective? Um, so the compound effect is... I mean, the general gist of it is that consistency compounds. So um, what, what, you, what you really want to do is find something that you want to get good at. So uh, let's just say getting better at playing the piano, for instance. Um, so what, once you find this goal, what you want to do is break it down into steps, something small, tangible, and easily done in a day. So maybe practicing the scales. And over time, like this, this thing builds just like in finance, where you invest something, uh, put it in your savings, and your money compounds. Uh, this this thing applies to everything in life. In piano, when once you play the scales daily, you become really good at scales, and you become better at playing piano. And eventually, you'll be far better than anyone who didn't even touch the piano. So th- this, uh, I find this concept also applies in a lot of things that I've been doing. And 
uh, like programming, writing. And yeah, it's just a very good principle to live by in life. So something that's similar to the compound effect is the 10,000 hour rule. Yes. Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts on the 10,000 hour rule? Uh, I think 10,000 is an arbitrary number, but something like that gives you a target to, to try to reach. Because uh, by doing things that many times, you're going to be far uh, more skilled than anybody who's like barely even started. Um, doing, ten, so doing anything 10,000 hours, even if it's something menial, will make you really good at it. <laughs> it doesn't matter what. So I, I also agree with the 10,000 rule. So I kind of want to transition to the future of blogging. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What do you think the future of blogging is? Is it writing? Is it podcasts? Is it vlogs? What What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think the future of blogging is going to be that almost everyone will probably have a blog. Now this might be a very strange take, but I think it's going to be as universal as LinkedIn. Um, or something where it's like a professional bio because in the future everyone is going to try to become a knowledge worker in the sense that thoughts are what matters not not just like menial tasks because a computer or robot is going to be able to replace that so by being able to have clear succinct creative thoughts uh, you're going to stand out and probably be a lot more employable than someone who can just do some tasks repetitively so by creating a blog, you're able to create a portfolio to show that and showcase that. And that's why I think blogging will evolve from just a means of expressing yourself into a necessity. Um, that's how I think blogging will evolve in terms of the technology. Um, I mean, blogging is here to stay. Like you see in YouTube, David Dobrik is a prime example. Uh, I could probably think of more, but these people change blogging into vlogs and almost everybody is like obsessed with it. He has like 14 million, maybe more subscribers now. And, um, and it's going to keep on exponentially growing. So vlogging is here to stay. Um, and a short form content is also here to stay like TikTok. right now it's blowing up, but yeah, that's how I think the future of blogging is going to be. It's going to become a necessity and, um, moving into vlogging is also going to be very big as well. Yeah, I agree. And when you talk about the most critical skills that people can develop, a lot of things can be automated now. Lots of jobs Mm -hmm. will be automated very soon, but the things that aren't going to be automated are your thoughts, critical thinking skills, and creativity. You Mm -hmm. know, I'm sure to a degree, computers can like be creative, but Mm -hmm. not like the same way that that humans can and something that you talked about was you know transition from blogging to vlogging and Mm -hmm. there's definitely differences between the two because blogging and with you know writing in general you're thinking about your ideas you're editing them you're Mm -hmm. refining them and a vlog is more spontaneous and Mm -hmm. authentic to a degree if you Mm -hmm. if, if you want to call it that Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Mm, yeah, so I think the main difference between vlogging and blogging is analogous to the difference between watching a movie and reading a book. So both of them are forms of media, and you're trying to convey maybe an idea or a thought, but the audience will be completely different, you know. So for vlogging, those people probably have uh, they're interested in something exciting, something that's visually appealing, um, maybe have a shorter attention span, at least with people who watch TikToks and stuff like that. Um, and blogging, you're kind of trying to convey a thought and an idea through long form uh, words. You know, you're trying, you're creating an essay or a post. And so the difference between, between these two are mainly just the audience and who you're trying to cater your content towards. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but it totally makes sense. Like, um, from my perspective, when I'm looking for something to read or I'm looking for something to watch. When I'm when I want to watch something, it's more. You're right. I, what words did you use to describe like that that type of audience? Um, 
shorter attention span. Yeah, shorter attention. But yeah, like think think of like the people that watch TikToks and the, the yeah like the people that are reading blogs. Like mm-hmm. even they're, if they're short term, like short short blogs, and mm-hmm. the audiences definitely overlap, but it's definitely a different segment of people for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have any plans to to start a podcast? Me? Nah. Maybe, maybe somewhere down the line. I think what I want to do is maybe create a YouTube channel. I think that's the next step for me. Um, creating a YouTube channel and maybe converting, again, what we just talked about, converting my content into videos as well. So, like, I would have parallel parallel content, but for different audiences. So, from a video video standpoint, is that would you be recording yourself or would you have like visuals? What what is that gonna look like? Um, I think it'll be a mix of both. I think the best way to describe what I want to emulate is um, somewhat like a Thomas Frank. Have you ever seen Thomas Frank by any chance? Yeah, I love him. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, so, he, he helped me freshman year with study tips. <laughs> exactly, Thomas Frank or Ali Abdal. I sorry if I butchered his name, but like um, something like that where it's like a mix of um i guess visuals and also myself so what kind of besides your blog what kind of projects are you working on right now uh right now i'm trying to sharpen up my coding skills (laughs) because um i'm gonna start work soon in like 30 days so i've just been doing a lot of side projects like just recently i just made a chrome extension um for a pomodoro timer so a pomodoro timer do you know what that is um by any chance i don't Okay, so a Pomodoro timer is basically this productivity hack where you set aside 25 minutes of straight focus work um, and you just turn a timer 25 minutes and you don't do anything except focus on one specific task. You only can choose one specific task. And once that's done, you get a five minute break and you can do whatever you want. So essentially very, very externally segmenting what you're uh, when you're working and when you're relaxing. And I couldn't really find a good minimalist timer online. So I just made a Chrome extension um, where every new tab becomes a Pomodoro timer. So every every new tab, meaning like you open a tab and then the timer starts. How does that work? Uh, you open a tab and then instead of seeing like a the Google logo, it would just be a Pomodoro timer with 25 minutes, and you can press start and it'll start. Uh, but it could just be a random new tab. You don't have to do anything with it as long as uh, when you want to use it, you can press start. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. No, like I've I've used that like strategy before. I, I've mm-hmm. never heard of Pomodoro, but mm-hmm. I've definitely like I've like the the concept of like working in blocks where you have mm-hmm. you know I'm focusing my energy on this thing at this time, then I'm taking a five minute break, and then I'm focusing my energy on this. So mm-hmm. this kind of makes me think about the concept of multitasking and versus being very pointed and focusing on one thing at a time. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on multitasking? Uh, I think multitasking uh, is a myth. <laughs> um, it, might be, it might be also a very polarizing view, but I don't think you can do multiple things at once. And even so, you would do it very poorly. So I think you should focus on one thing at a time uh, in segments. And the results are going to be far better than doing four things at once and trying to do well at all four things. Yeah, I totally agree. And th- this is something that I've heard of like on podcasts, I've read about a mm-hmm. bunch. And it's definitely, I-, I might have to check out your tool because there's, there's so <laughs> many times that I'm like, I'll be doing one thing and then I'll, you know, get a notification and then I'll get pulled in another direction. And then I'm like, all right, well, what was I doing? And then I'm doing three other things and I totally lose track of what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have to use my tool. It's just kind of a principle. So, like, as long as you apply this principle to uh, what you're doing, you should be completely fine. So you, you sent out a tweet, and it was either today or yesterday, mm-hmm. about the concept of, like, breaking down your day into specific, like, buckets or, like, times to track, you know, what you're doing and what you're spending your time on. What's the What's the purpose of that, and what? How would you like? What's your plan with doing that? Um, yeah, so I think splitting up my time into buckets 
and um, segments is again similar to the idea of multitasking. Uh, I try to say, uh, break off pieces of my day to focus on specific tasks. That way, um, if I'm thinking about doing something else, I won't. And if you are thinking about doing something else, what I recommend is writing it down on a piece of paper. Because psychologically, if you're thinking about doing something, it's going to be nagging you in the head until um, you put it down. So what I do is like if I'm writing a blog post or for uh, for example, and I'm thinking about another a new programming idea, and I really want to switch into my programming mode, I would just write down the idea on a piece of paper or in a text pad or text editor, and and just let it be. And then once I'm done with writing, I would switch to that. Um, by being able to segment your time, you're far more productive and you're far more effective at what you're doing yeah i agree what what is your your content strategy for like writing your blogs repurposing your content <laughs> uh, i mean right now my strategy is writing anything that i'm interested in so i every single day i just um whether i'm walking or uh, doing anything i have ideas that pop up in my head and i just write down as a maybe for an article and every morning or day I want to write an article or think think about writing, I go to that list and see what things kind of interest me. And if, if it interests me and I have things to write about, I would I would just take that take that um, idea and start writing. Because I, I never want to write when I'm not interested in that topic. Because number one, I think uh, you won't have the motivation to finish that content. And number two, it's probably not going to be a good piece of content anyway. And my my goal is to write the best content possible. I mean, as authentic as possible as well, but like mixing both authenticity and um, having a high standard. Yeah, I'm kind of like the same way. And but there's definitely like specific like activities that or things I'll be doing that kind of make me think of different ideas. So. Like mm -hmm. I just started running and a lot of times when I'm running, I, I start thinking about random stuff and then I'm like trying to pull out my phone while I'm running, trying to like <laughs> yeah. open up like a voice memo or like a, mm -hmm. a notes thing. And like so what what kind of activities kind of spur that creative process to get you thinking? Mm, um, reading definitely helps. Reading other people's articles, reading, um, just absorbing ideas and content. I, I mean, I think everyone is a mix of um, the inputs, like your outputs, are uh, amalgamation of all of your inputs. So whatever you're reading, writing, uh, whatever you're reading and absorbing, whether it, it's watching videos, listening to podcasts, listening to Gritty and Curious, um, whatever it is, like these inputs are gonna somehow, in some way, influence your outputs. So these ideas obviously um, come from somewhere, right? And the the ideas come from everything I'm reading or watching. Yeah, one of the one of my favorite quotes is that you're a you are the average of the five people you spend your most time with. I'm sure you've heard mm -hmm. that one before, but it mm -hmm. do, doesn't only relate to people. It, it kind of relates to you know what you're what you're reading or what you're what podcasts you're listening to. Mm -hmm. So the next thing I want to talk about is what what kind of stuff are you reading right now, and what are your favorite podcasts? Um, so. What I'm reading right now is the design of everyday things. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's like 270 pages, so I'm like about halfway in, um, and it's, it's really interesting. Like, I'm just gonna give a quick synopsis. Basically, it's talking about how everything in life is um, designed. Like, for example, a door. When you see a metal plate on a door, somehow you know that that means to push, and when you see a handle, that means to pull. So these are put there intentionally to subconsciously let you know that um, the function of that specific door or object. So the, the book just talks about all these kind of cool psychological concepts that are applied to design. Um, podcast I'm listening to. So <laughs> your podcast, for one, I think is a pretty good podcast. So everybody should listen to this podcast. Um, and number two, uh, I've been listening to a guy named Tiago Forte. He has a uh, podcast called um, Build a Second Brain. And he kind of goes through concepts of um, creativity, organization, productivity, um, all of these things, as well as um, actually that's that's about it. But these are all really cool concepts that he kind of talks about. And finally, um, I have also listened to a guy named David Perel. His he has a podcast called The North Star, and uh, he just invites very interesting, fascinating people and kind of goes through their mental 
thought process. So those are uh, a couple of things that are my inputs. Yeah, since you recommended I check out David Perel, I've like I'm constantly checking his tweets and I've looked, <laughs> at, his, looked at his website a few times. So thanks mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, no problem. So Andy, thank you so much for coming on. Like I, this was a really good conversation, and I could imagine that you know we could probably talk for a very long time. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to you to learn more about what we talked about today or any stuff that's you're posting on your blog or stuff that you're tweeting, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, so it's andyjgao.com. Um, my handle on everything is andyjgao. So as long as you look up andyjgao on Twitter, um, on Instagram, you'll probably find me. Andy Gao exemplifies what it means to be gritty and curious. He's gritty because he started his own blog, he's putting his ideas out there, he's writing a newsletter, and he's curious because he's exploring new ideas, trying new things, and talking to new people. I really enjoyed talking to Andy, and we talked a lot about a bunch of things that have been on my mind, so it was good to connect with him and share some common interests and thoughts So anyway, if you want to contact Andy, check out his blog, andyjgao.com, and also subscribe to his newsletter. You can also hit him up on Twitter as well. He's pretty active on there. This has been the Gritty and Curious podcast, a podcast that gives you the inspiration, knowledge, and tools to start your next venture. We are self-starters and thought leaders who went through the system. We went to college. we We did well. We got a job, but we're looking for something greater. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a rating, and write a quick review. By doing this, you let me know that you are listening, and it inspires me to keep creating. You can get every episode of Gritty and Curious on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And until next time, thank you so much for listening.